All right, um, a few weeks back, we had a lesson. I don't know how many of you remember this. The lesson was called The Perfect Bride. If you were there, just raise your hand. All right, perfect. Nope, Most of you were there. <laughs> so the lesson was from an Old Testament text. We looked at the story of Isaac, Rebecca, Eliezer, and Isaac's father, which was Abraham. All right. Uh, yeah, Abinezer. He was not a part of the story, but he is in the Bible. So in the story of Isaac, Rebecca, and Eliezer, uh, we talked about it so that we can have a glimpse of the relationship between Christ and the church, right? So we said that Abraham, the father, is willing for his son Isaac to find a wife, the perfect bride. So he sends out his, his faithful servant, Eliezer. His, his name means helper of God for him to go out and to find a bride for Isaac. And he does. He goes out and he finds the perfect bride. Her name is Rebecca, right? He comes up with these extra instructions so that, so that she would be the perfect bride for Isaac. Uh, and, and as they're traveling back, we said that he must have told her all about Isaac because she recognizes him from far away. In the same manner, Isaac is praying and meditating and waiting for his bride. That was the story of Isaac, Rebecca, and Eliezer. So we're going to pick up on that story today. We're going to talk about the church, right? So the whole lesson today is for us to get a glimpse of how Jesus feels about his church, right? How does the Lord feel towards his church? And if you remember when we were going through the lesson about Isaac, um, Eliezer, and, and Abraham, we kept going back to this verse. And the verse says, whoever has ears, let them hear what Holy Spirit is saying to this church. And that verse is from Revelation. It's actually mentioned seven times in the book of Revelation, just in chapter 2 and, uh, and 3. right? So it's mentioned at the end of these letters that Jesus is writing to his wife, that Jesus is writing to his bride. He says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. That's how he ends each and every single letter. Right? So there are seven letters being sent out to seven different churches. Seven brides, one bride, but you know what I mean, right? Seven churches. And Jesus is writing to his bride. If you want to know how somebody feels about you, right, is it better to ask the person or is it better to ask someone else? Like if I want to know how Noah feels about you, should I go to Yap, what's her name, Shadi Ye? Is it better for me to go to Shadi? Not you, the sister, right? If, if I want to know how Noah feels towards me, do I ask Shadi or do I ask Noah? If I wa truly want to understand how Noah feels towards me. Noah, right? Like, if I want to know how Ezra feels, do I ask Muki or do I ask Ezra? Ezra, right? <laughs> Noah, Ezra is like, I don't like it. Okay. <laughs> or if I want to know how Nardi feels about me, I don't ask... Um, someone help me with names, please. Chinaye. Or, or, or any of her other siblings. I would ask Nardi, right? In the same way, whenever we want to know how Jesus feels towards his church... Thank God that Jesus actually has letters in the book to help us understand how he feels about his church, right? We don't have to wonder, how does Christ feel about his church? He wrote a letter. In her weakness, how he feels about her. In her strength, how he feels about her. So this entire letter, it sets the stage so that you may understand, okay, this is exactly how Jesus feels about his bride. When she's happy, this is how he feels about her. When she's sad, this is how he feels about her. When she's great, this is how he feels about her. So the whole letter is, is full of Jesus adoring her, Jesus rebuking her, Jesus setting her straight, right? So there are seven letters, seven churches, seven different churches in seven different conditions. 
Okay, so we're going to start reading Revelation soon. So if everybody could just turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 1. And this is, I will be very honest with you, this is the hardest chapter, this is the hardest book I've read in the whole Bible. Um, so I would really love it if all of you are interactive, if you can read, if you can um, <coughs> jump in. If you know a story, if you know a name that sounds familiar, jump in and, and I would not be upset, okay? So I want to give you a little um, background. So Jesus died for all of us, right? Everybody knows that if you're a believer and if you come to Sunday churches. And then he ascended, right? Jesus left his church or he, he left his disciples and he went away. From the moment that Jesus ascended until Christ comes back, we call that the church age, right? Did the church exist before Jesus ascended? Did the church exist in the Old Testament? Is the church going to exist after the return of Christ Jesus? No. We're all just waiting for our groom to come back. But we call that the church age, right? And I've spent many years in my room just asking the Lord God, can you just tell me what heaven is praying about, right? Uh, Makli sometimes make fun of me when she was here. She would say, Rupka says, like, what is the Holy Spirit praying about? And I do, I do that. And guys, I promise you, until this week, it has never been answered, right? But as I was planning this lesson, what was so clear to me is that the only concern that heaven has is the church. The only concern that the Lord has on his book right in front of him is his people. It's you and me. He has no other concern. So whenever you're wondering, wait, what is the, heart, what is the Lord's heart about? It's his church. Because we, we live in, a, in, in an age where it's all about the church. We live in the church age, right? So as these letters are going out, some letters that are like they're really heavy and hard to read, because Jesus is rebuking you, right? But some are really comforting. But I want you all, as we read these letters, I want you to take it in as if it's Jesus is writing these letters to you, because you are the church, right? Like, I want you to take every single word as this is for me, even the ones that are hard, the ones that are easy. Uh, but when it talks about pagan worship, maybe just avoid that one, okay? <laughs> Perfect. So let's go to Revelation. Um, we're going to read Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. Baba. Okay. Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. Perfect. So, Revelation verse 19. Actually, can we read from 9 to 19? Verse I like the entire book of... Yeah, let's do 9 to 19. <laughs> NIV. NIV. Okay. Revelation 1. Verse 9 to 19. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, Write on the scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches today. If this is Smyrna, Pergamos. Pergamos. Yeah. Pergamum. Pergamum. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. Amen. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, Amen. and his eyes were like blazing fire. Mm. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. Amen. His face was like the sun shining in all its mermaids. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. 
Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now live. I am alive forever and ever. Amen. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Amen. Right, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. Amen. Hallelujah. So, Honestly, I, I, I just wanted to hear the description of Christ Jesus. That's why I made him read from 9 to 19. But the main verse that I wanted you to look at is verse 19. So the book of Revelation is split into these three ages or these three timelines. So chapter 1 is all about the presence. Or it's all about the past, right? What is John has seen? So John is telling you in chapter 1 of everything that he's seen. He's telling you a description of Christ Jesus, the vision that he had. That's the past, right? What he has seen. Chapter 2 and 3 are the present, right? Like this is the time where John is writing of the current situations that is going on in Asia, the churches in Asia, the seven churches in Asia. Four and the rest of the book of Revelation is all prophecies. It's all about what is to come, right? But you and I, we're only going to focus on the current time that John is talking about, the present time during his time. But the, the truth is, when you read the scripture, you, you start to realize this is actually just not about the present time. It is about the, the churches that are yet to come. Right? He's writing to these seven different churches, but the way that he talks about them, each seven mark a timeline in the church history. Right? So if I have seven people, one, two, three, months, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and to look at this, right? This is Ephesus. This is where we start with the church history. As soon as Jesus left, they had the apostles, and they start the first church. He is Ephesus, right? And the last church, I believe, is by Jesus. The, the names are really difficult. Okay, let me go back. Baba, thank you for skipping it, okay? <laughs> I was hoping he would read. Okay, the last church is, I believe, Lodicia. Lodicia. The last church would be, the last church would be Cadiz, okay? And the timeline, Jesus left, this is the church. And the timeline, Cadiz is where we are right now. That's the last church that we're at right now, okay? So if you split the church history timelines, Every single church, including Yonatan, including Nardi, Ad, you, and him, <laughs> Nathie, and, and Nathan, both Nathans, they each mark a timeline in the church history, right? And the way that you can check is you go Google it, and then you do the research on Revelation, because I don't want to get into the timeline. But the way that Jesus is sending out these letters, each of them describe a time in church history. Each of them are for a particular time in church history. This is the problem that is going on in that century, and this is how Jesus wants to talk to his bride, right? Let's say that you are hurt, right? You have, um, oh my God, this is going to sound really bad. So you have a man, if you're a female, or if you're a man, you have a girl, right? And you're feeling hurt about something, or you're going through something. This would be the letter that she would send you. Right, when she wants to comfort you. Or this would be the letter that he would write to you when he wants to comfort you. Or maybe you did something wrong in the relationship and that person wants to call you up to a standard. This would be the kind of letter they would write to you. They would say, you've hurt me. I want you to do better next time. Right? So during these different centuries in time, when the church is going through different things, Jesus is writing a letter to his bride. Right? So the lesson of today, after all of that, the title of the lesson of today is The Seven Letters to the Bride. Okay, and we are going to start on Ephesus. I'm really running through it because we have seven churches to get through and it's already one o'clock. Um, the first one is Ephesus. We said that Ephesus would be the church that as soon as Jesus left, here's Ephesus, right? As soon as Jesus left, the apostles gathered and they started a church. And this Ephesus, the book of uh, the church of Ephesus is located in the city of Ephesus, right? So let's read, um, we're gonna turn to Chapter 2, 
And we're going to start on verse 1 all the way until the end, which is verse 7. Okay? Is everybody there? Yeah. Verse 1 through 7. Revelation 2, verse 1 through 7. This is the church of Ephesus. Somebody read it for me. Yonatha. Thank you so much. So the church of Ephesus, I will explain a little thing about Ephesus. So the city of Ephesus, if you remember in Acts, maybe you don't, Acts chapter 19, the apostles are there very aggressive in the way that they were spreading the gospel, right? So they're going into each city and they're taking over. They go into the city of Ephesus and the people that reside in the city of Ephesus, they rise up against them. And if you remember the word that they say to, the, to them, if you can turn to Acts chapter 19, you don't have to, but you can turn to it if you want to read the story. They rise up against them and they say, this is the city of goddess Diana. We want you to leave, right? We do not welcome your God. This is our city and this is the city of goddess Diana. If you know, if you know a little thing about Pagan worship, Nardi. Um, the goddess of Diana, I mean, okay, the goddess of Diana, what is she known for? <laughs> what is the goddess of Diana known for? Yes, she, oh, stop. No, but listen to Nardi, what is she known for? She's known for, listen, She's known for lust and fertility. She's known to be a mother, right? So the goddess of Diana and the city of Ephesus, her worship included prostitution. In her temple, there was a lot of things going around because she was a goddess of lust and, and, and fertility. And then there's another person in that city. I think he's, his name is like the silversmith Demetrius, whatever his name is. But people would travel far away to go to Ephesus and offer pagan worship sacrifices to him. In the midst of all of that, the first church is planted, right? And Jesus is talking to that church. They were very aggressive in the beginning. They went in, they took over. He even says they were disciplined, right? He says, you're not taken over by the, what's going on in the world. He says, you hate the things that I hate. And the thing that he refers to are, Nicol say it again, Nicolotians? Nicolotians. <laughs> those people, those specific people that he's referring to, they're actually Christians, they're in the house of the Lord. What makes them different from all the other faithful believers is that they believe that you can do whatever you want. You can, as long as it feels good, go for it, right? You're in the house of the Lord, and your neighbor is sacrificing to the queen of Diana, but it's a really good lamb, and like the meat is, ooh, go for it. Those are the, the kind of people that are part of the church. And Jesus says, look, Ephesus, 
those that are faithful, I know you hate them as much as I hate them. And you have that, you have that going on for you. But what does the Lord say about Ephesus? Thank you so much, Shadi. They are fading away from the love that they have at first. He says, but you are going further away from the devotion, from the love that you've had in the beginning. Right? And we can all relate to that. Some seasons we feel like we're on fire and we're going through this. And then another season comes where we're so chill with our love. And we have normalized it. Right? We tell people whatever they tell us, oh, I'm going through something spiritual. We tell them, oh, I've been there too. It's okay. But the word of God says, this is how Jesus says it. He says, you have faded away. Your love for me has chilled. What I want you to do is repent and to come back to your first love. He doesn't normalize it. Jesus doesn't say, okay, you loved me one time and you were devoted to me before, but now you've gotten to know me and it's okay if you just want to chill at home and don't want to go out. No. Jesus says, you are to be devoted to me at all times. So this is the kind of letter that's going to the, 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 the church of Ephesus. These are a church that were strong. These are a church that went into cities that were owned by Diana. They took over. They are strong. They're not a weak church. But then their love starts to fade. Right? Their, their, their standard of love fading is like us being on fire right now. Right? Even then he shows up and he says, where you were before, you're no longer there. Right? He doesn't compare them to a different group and say, oh, I want you to be like that. It's, he compares them to the time where they were faithful. And he says, you were there before, but now you've turned your face back on me. And he pleads to them. Like, kindly, he says, what I want you to do is I want you to repent, and I want you to come back to me. Right? Jesus is the redeemer of his church. He has been since the beginning. He has been begging his church to come back to him, to come back to his first love since the beginning of time. Right? So he's been pulling us closer. When we walk away, he's right there to say, listen, you were devoted before, and you're now, your love is decreasing. Your love is chilling. Right? And I just want you to come back to your first love. Look at the way that he talks to her. He says, I'm your first love. So when, you're, when she's distracted by someone else or something else, he gets jealous. Right? Like, I don't want you to look at it like Jesus is ruling over a church, and he's like, you know what? Unless you worship me, I'm going to press. He loves her. Even when her eyes literally shift a little bit. He doesn't say you are living in sin. He just says your love is no longer the same way that it was before. They still love him. But the fact, the idea that their love is sort of coming to this steady, non-growing stage, he pleads to them. And he says, that's not where I want you to be. I want you to love me the way that you used to. I want you to honor me the way that you used to. The way that you were when you were a child, when you had nothing else going around, no one else was part of, you know, no one else was on the throne of your heart. No one was pushing to, like, you, he wasn't competing with nobody else. Not with college, not with work, not with family. It was just you and Jesus. And that's the kind of letter that's going to Ephesus. He says, it's just me and you. Right? That's the first letter that's going out to Ephesus. And the second letter... Um, is to please somebody else say the church's name. Samaria. Oh, I can say this one. It's okay. Samarna. 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 Okay. Emotional. <laughs> Emotional damage. Um, so the second letter is going to the Samaria. The city of Samarna. This is short, and for time's sake, let's make this fast. So the city, I'll give you a, a, a couple of. of um, words over this church, and then Baba, I want you to read it, okay? The city is poor, or the city that they are 
planted in. It's a poor city. They actually get attacked by hurricanes a lot. If you just look, go look at it, even to this day, the church, they get destroyed a lot. And this is a husband writing to his bride that is poor and it doesn't, she doesn't have anything. But the way that he speaks to her, Jesus is standing on who he is when he's talking to her, right? When Jesus comes into your life, let me give you an example. Maybe you're sick, right? And Christ comes into your life. The way that he speaks to you is based on who he is. He tells you that you are healthy because he's a healer. Maybe you're poor, and he comes in and he says you are rich because he's rich, right? So here's a church that is faithful. She doesn't have a lot that he rebukes out of her. He doesn't say your love is no longer you know, on fire for me anymore. He just comes in. And, and I bet they were going through a season where they felt like they had nothing. Because he comes in, he says, I know you are poor, but you are rich. Right? Like he speaks to her based on who he is, entirely of, of, of everything that he owns. If you can think of the richest person in this room, like the, what, what's the guy who was born and raised in South Africa but now lives here? Elon Musk. Elon Musk. No, he's not rich, but <laughs> Elon Musk, right? <laughs> he is South Africa. He was born in I know, that's great. I was shocked. But you have a person. So it's, it's like if Elon Musk walks into this room. I just want, I want the younger ones to understand this concept. Elon Musk walks into this room, he sees how poor you are, but he looks at you and he says, you are rich, right? Like you are so rich. I would find that to be insulting, excuse me? But when Jesus speaks to his church, he does it not to make fun of them, he does it not to insult them, but really because he's rich, they are rich, right? So just read the passage because I don't want to spend too much time on this one. This would be chapter 2, right after where is, is there, verse 8. Is, So here's a church, they're being persecuted, they are poor. Jesus comes in and he says, I know what you're going through, and I know that you don't have enough, and I know you're hurting, but he just says, you are rich. And he comforts them and he speaks to them based on who he is, that they are strong, that they will get through this. And if you look at the timeline in church history, this is a season where a lot of believers and, and people in faith were being killed, right? So people couldn't you know, publicly come out and give to this church. People can even go to church. Like, this is where persecution is really huge. And this is how he's speaking to his house during that time, during the, the centuries before we ever lived. He's telling her, I love you. I see you. I know what you're going through. This is a love letter between a husband to his wife. When she's going through something, when she's very weak, when she's suffering, this is how he talks to his church. I hope you can feel the love that Jesus has for his church as we are going through these letters, right? When she doesn't look at him the same way anymore, he says, please come back to me. When she's suffering, he says, don't worry, I, I, I'm still here. 
And then you move on to the next church, because we don't have time. Somebody please say the church's name for me. Third church. Pergamum? 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 Pergamum is located in the city of Pergamos. It, start, it ends with M-O's, so I think I'm right. Okay, the city? Pergamum. M-O's. Is everybody still with me? You're all good? Okay, because we're going to be done soon because we don't have time. So this city is located where there's a lot of pagan worship, okay? I mean, people are indulging themselves in whatever they want. This is a city where the temple of Caesar, they worship Caesar like a god. You guys remember the king Caesar that was mentioned many times? This is where they set a temple for him to worship him like a god, okay? <laughs> this is what the word of God says about this church. He says, there's great power, there's... Um, it says Satan had great power and authority in the city, in this, in this city that they live in. And th so this is a church that is struggling spiritually. And can you just read it? Because I can't even remember half the things he said to her. Okay. Um. This would be verse 12 all the way down to 17. Thank you. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. Mm -hmm. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who, has put, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin, so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual morality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Mm -hmm. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Mm -hmm. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, Amen. known only to the one who receives it. Amen. Thank you so much. So, like I said, this is a city where there's a lot of pagan worship, right? The meaning of the city name itself, Pergamos, means mixed marriage. So what's happening is that people are intermarrying, right? Pagan worshippers are marrying the Christians. The Christians are, they're just crossing over left and right. Their lessons are coming from the pagan to the church. The, the church are going that way, and they're eating the, the food that they shouldn't eat. Remember then the people, the group of people that I explained to you later, uh, earlier, the Nicolosians? Yeah. They are they they are they exist in that church and the the word of God says they they actually they're thriving in the church because there's a lot of mixed culturing going around and this is what I want you to take away from this letter is that Jesus is the protector of his church right we said that Jesus is the redeemer of his church when she shifts and she's not in the same love level anymore he comes and he pleads to her and he says come back to me. When she is in suffering and, and persecution, he comforts her and he says, I'm still here. And when she is being taken over by wicked people, he comes and he says, I will exalt them. Like, I will pull them out of you. I will protect you. I will keep you pure. He doesn't say, I'm going to anoint somebody. He's going to rise up and he's going to protect. No, I do believe that Jesus, the Lord uses people. But he is the main protector of his house. So he tells them, I will root them out of you. Right? But those that are faithful, he says, you will inherit it. Like, you will inherit the city. I will give over the city to you. But those who are not faithful, actually, I will root them out and I will punish them. Next church. Okay. 
Fourth church. I'm sorry, guys. We really don't have time, so I'm, I'm running through it. But I really still hope you see the love that Jesus has for his church. Okay. Okay, read it, Yonatha. Go for it. Read it. Thank you. <laughs> this would be 18 all the way until the end. Everybody follow him? Amen. So, um, does anybody remember Jezebel from the Old Testament? If you know anything about Jezebel, just wave real quick. Perfect. Good job. So, Jezebel, Old Testament, that she is mentioned in the kings. If you if you know her, she was married to a king called Ahab, and she worshipped Baal. Okay, and her main purpose of living in the Old Testament was to persecute the Lord's prophets. She loved it. Right? She did it well, too. Because if you remember, there was a prophet named Elijah. He was a great man. I mean, he rained, fire rained from heaven when he was praying. And the minute that he heard, he heard that Jezebel was coming after him, he runs. He was like, what? Prayer? That was, that was like stage five in his, in his running away from the Lord, right? You remember Elijah when he was hiding in the woods in the Jesus, I mean, the um, caves, and then the Lord has to come and feed him and comfort him, and then he was like, okay, boy, you got to get up. You have work ahead of you. That's Jezebel. She's dead now. But in this city, she still worshipped. And people still worship Baal. And what's happening in this church, in the church that uh, John is writing to, in this century, is that her spirit is so heavy that it's pushing into the church. The teachings of Baal are pushing into the church. And Jesus, again, tells his church, he says, I will place her and her people in a bed of suffering. Because we said Jesus is the protector of his church. He doesn't sit back and he doesn't watch when people are messing up his house. He doesn't say, you know what, you're the pastor, so I guess you can do whatever you want with it. It's his house. It's his bride. Right? So he tells her, he says, Jezebel, you and your people, I will place you in a bed of suffering. But then listen to how he speaks to his faithful ones. This is a century where you can see that it is, it's possible to be faithful when the culture is shifting. It's possible to, to be faithful to the Lord when everybody else is sort of bargaining with what's going on. Maybe I can worship at Jezebel. Maybe like on Sundays, the Lord. 
it's possible to be faithful. And there are people in that church who are, are faithful. And this is how the Lord talks to them. He says, but you, I will, know, I will not place any more burden on you. Because the fact that being faithful in a season like that is already burdensome. Do you, do you feel like that sometimes? Like being faithful in the season that, that we, we live in? It's a lot of burden. Like to go to school, to be at work, and to have friends who actually don't hate you for the stuff that you believe in. That's burdensome, Right? But the way that Jesus talks to people who live in a generation where the culture is really pressing you is he says, I will not place any more burden on you. I see what you're going through. And he just hold, he says to hold on fast to what he's given you, to hold tightly to the word that he's trusted you with because he's coming back. Right? The promise is that I will come back and I will exalt you and I will give you authority over the city. Mm. Isn't that what he says to them? He says, I will not place any more burden on you. Rather, I will give you authority. Authority over what? Everything. Perfect. Authority over the nation. Authority over everything. Authority over what Jezebel is ruling right now. Right? He comforts them. He says, I see what you're going through, and I will reward you for your faithfulness. But remember, I want you to know that he's not talking to, like, worldly people. He's talking to his house. And the people that are in his house who are participating in both the world and, and his house, he says, I will place you in a bed of suffering. But those, but those of them who are faithful, he says, I will reward you. I will actually give you authority over the church. I will give you authority over the city. So here he is. He's protecting his church. He's redeeming his church. He's loving his church. Right? And we're going to go to the next church. Perfect. Okay. We, our next church is... Sardius. Wow, you guys are great. Sardius. Let me give you a, a, a few words over this church, and then we'll read the scripture. This is a church. I will read this verse. It says, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Right? In this century of time, in this time, the church that exists is one that has the reputation of being alive, but she's dead. What does that mean? Good, yeah. Good job, Shadi. They look alive, but they're dead. There's a lot of activity going on, but not there's nothing spiritual. There's nothing spiritual substance there. A lot of people are moving. A lot of people are coming to church. A lot of people are serving. But there's nobody who actually has the knowledge of who the Lord is. Because he says, all of your work is unfinished in the sight of my Lord. Okay, let's read that. part. This will be chapter 3. This is the fifth church. Baba, read it for me. Sorry, Abba. Verse 1 through 6. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my Lord, of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. Mm -hmm. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Mm -hmm. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. Amen. The one who is a victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. Amen. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, Amen. but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Amen. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Mm. Right. So here is a church who's very active, right? They look pretty, like Shadi said. They're going to church, 
Maybe they have like five Bible studies a week. And then the sixth one is like fasting prayer day. The seventh one is when you give to the poor. But they don't know the Lord. He says, all of your work is unfinished in the sight of my God because you are pretending to be alive. But in the midst of all of that, there's hope for the people. He says, rise up and awaken what is, what is, what is real. Those people who are genuinely serving the Lord, awaken those up, right? Because God still sees the faithful ones. Here's, let me, I'm going to like travel back to the Old Testament. In, in the Old Testament, if you remember the Daniel story, there is a king named Nabu, thank you. Um, <laughs> he had a dream one day and he gets up and he's like, I want the prophets of the city to come in front of me. I want them to tell me my dream. I want them to interpret it as well. And then here are these pagan prophets. They come in front of him. Shadi, can you tell me my dream and interpret it as well? No. Okay, so they come in front of him, and they can't. So you know what he says? says you're going to die. Yeah, he puts all of them to death. He says, you know what? I'm going to get you. You're going to die tomorrow. So there's a time set for these prophets. He sends them there in prison waiting for their death. Tomorrow is their persecution. Here is Daniel Young, probably around your age, probably younger. He goes up to the Lord. He goes in front of the Lord. He tells this king, he says, just give me a day. I'll come back to you with you. And he goes to God, and he cries out, and he says, Lord, we're about to die. I'm going to need you to tell me the dream that you showed him. I need you to tell me what it means as well. And the Lord does. And you know what he says right after that? He says, you are the God of all mysteries. So can you ever, ever, ever trick the Lord? There's not enough service there isn't enough Bible study. There aren't enough leaders going around to lead Bible studies for you to fool the Lord that you are in good stand with him just because you go to service. And this is what's happening in the century. People are at church all the time. People are singing. They are doing it all. They're, you know what, tongues, all of it. But the Lord says, but you are dead, right? But there's still hope for those that are genuine and faithful. Not only that, he actually makes a promise to those that are faithful. And I hope you realize this promise still stands because God is not a God who, who, who forgets his promise. He says, but those of you who are faithful, you will wear white and do what? You will walk with me. You will walk with him in glory, dressed in white because you have been faithful. That's the promise to his faithful ones. But I want to remind you, those who are not faithful in the house of the Lord, he says, I will place you in a bed of suffering, and I will punish you. Church number six. This is the Church of Philadelphia, because I can say the name, I'm going to say it. Okay, so let's go. This is by far my favorite church. This is the smallest church in this, and if you go through history, this is the smallest church. And this is also the smallest timeline. This is a timeline where there was a lot of missionaries going out of the church, right? This is almost, there's like a whole new revival going around. Like in the, in the beginning, there was the church of Ephesus, Ezra, right? And they were fired up. They were going out. They were taking everything. And now we are at the church of Yonatan, number six, right? We said these are all seven churches. Oh, my God, Nardi, you were at the church? Oh, no, sweetheart. Okay, so <laughs> God and Nardi, okay. So we, got, we are Yonatan's church right now, Okay. Yoni is where he's sending people out to go minister, to go capture the hearts of the people. The Lord is delighted because a church, her main goal is supposed to be the gospel. And this is a, this is a generation that understood that message. Yoni's generation and this generation, who understood that the, the heart of the church is the gospel, the heart of Jesus is the church. 
So you come to this generation, all of a sudden, Jesus has been gone for centuries, and they have a huge revival where they're sending out people saying, unless you know the Lord, you are dead. And this is how he speaks to them. When I tell you the love that flows out of his mouth, I don't have anything else to add to this church, so I'm going to let Baba read, and then we're going to go to church number seven, okay? Baba, read it slowly. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. When he opens, no one can shut. Amen. When he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Amen. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Mm -hmm. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be the Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Mm -hmm. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Mm -hmm. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have, Amen. so that no one will take your crown. Amen. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Amen. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. Amen. This is a church that is small but faithful. I just I wanted to add this thing. When we were in the main century, Shadi's dad, Pastor Danny, he read a verse as soon as the people uh, that the ashers went away to sit down. He says, "Those who are faithful until death, the Lord has a crown for them." Right. This is a verse in in in, in the book. And this is the kind of letter that Jesus is writing to them. He says, "Because you have been faithful, because you have not denied my name, I know you're small, but you're going out and you're spreading the gospel, and every door is wide open for you." And he says, in the last days, you, no, no, no burden will come upon you. I will protect you from the, the, from the you know what, when, when the Lord is coming against the evil. He says, I will protect you then. And he also tells them, I will give you the crown of life, right? He, he tells them he's going to reward them, right? So that's the kind of church, that's how he speaks to his bride when she's doing something good. When she's, when she's living up to the standard that he has set for her, he tells her there's a reward for that. I love you because I see your hard work, right? We said that Jesus is the redeemer of his church. When she goes away, he brings her back. We, say that, we said that he's the protector of his church, right? He's the comforter of his church. Generations, he's still the comforter of his church. And he's the lover of his church. He loves her. He loves her all the time, right? And the, even when he's protecting her, he loves her. He, he blesses those that are faithful. He loves his church. And number seven, in the last church, we started with Ezra. We said Ezra is the, the, the church of Ephesus, right? And we had Yoni, who is the church of Philadelphia. I'm not going to say the rest of the names because I can't. But you get the point, right? We had a church. As soon as Jesus left, they were aggressive, and then their, their love starts to cool down like everyone else, right? And he says, don't do that. Come back to me. He redeemed her. And then we had the next church. The next church is the church that is poor. And he says, no, 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 no. You're poor, but you are rich. And then we had the pagan worshipers who were, like, who were mixed marrying. And they were going all over the place. He says, I will root out the evil out of you. And I will bless those that are faithful. And then we had Jezebel. <laughs> Sorry, not uh, the echo. We had the city where Jezebel is being worshipped. He says, I will place you in a bed of suffering. But those that, that are faithful, he says, I will reward you. And then we had Nardi's generation, active but dead. And he says, <laughs> those that are faithful, they will do what? 
They will walk with me dressed in white. Did I skip a church? And then we had Yoni, who are faithful, whose doors he says, I will remain, like whatever door I open, no one else will shut. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Because you have been faithful, there's crown waiting for you. And we have Eddist, our last generation, our last church. Are you ready? Yes. But in all of this, what I want you to realize is that Jesus is a redeemer, a protector, a lover, and a comforter of his church. And he never, never forgets his faithful people. But in all of this timeline, in all of these pretty people timeline, something that has been continuing to happen is that Jesus is looking for a group of people. He says, those of you, those of you, those of you, those of you who have been faithful, those of you who have... There is this torch that is going from one generation to another. And that torch is the, the torch of the gospel, right? So if he was to pass his phone over, I'm sorry, I know you're taking notes. And then he's to pass his, his torch. And then they're passing this around. And then we get to Kedist. Kedist, can you raise your phone? She has the last torch. She has the gospel. And this is where we're picking up. And I want you to pay so close attention because... I genuinely believe this is where we reside in Qaddis's generation, in the last generation, in the way that he talks to his church. Something that you're going to notice, I'll give you, I'll, you know what, I'll give it up because I don't know how, how much time we have left. It stops being about a group of people. It becomes individuals as soon as we get to Qaddis. Jesus is so desperate to find a faithful person. He says, if a man opens his door for me, can you read the, the book for me? Okay. How do you say this church? Laodicea. Yeah, Laodicea or Laodicea. Or To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Mm -hmm. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear, so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes, so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone Amen. hears my voice and opens the door, Amen. I will come in and eat with that person. Amen. And they with me. Amen. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Amen. Whoever has ears, let, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. Amen. Here is a timeline of the church. We traveled this far. We're at Gaddis right now. And here's a church that is rich, right? I know a lot of you, when we say the word rich, you feel like you don't relate. But the truth is, every single person in this room are probably better off than the majority of the world. I mean, you're young, but your parents there, they're probably better off than the majority of the world, right? We're we're good, we're safe, we have everything we need. So we live in a time where we are like, we have everything I need, I don't need the Lord. You go outside of the church, especially outside of this church, the whole world is like, oh, I have everything I need. I don't need the Lord. Why, why would I pray for? Like, what is prayer about? Like, okay, thank you, Jesus, for giving me this food. But this is the kind of time we live in. This is the generation that we've ended up with, is that the, church is, the torch of the gospel is going from one generation to another to another. And then we get to Kedist, and everybody's like, the gospel? You can just find that on YouTube. 
Like, who's going to go out in the world and preach? And I promise you, I say all of this word, but if you are to put me in front of people outside this church, I am mute. I'm the, the generation that we're at. That we're spreading the gospel, talking about Jesus is like foolish to me. Because Jesus is so desperate to find a human. Because half the church, and I'm like, guys, hear me when I say this. I cried this entire week when I read this chapter. Because I think this, this entire letter talks about me. I'm neither warm or I'm neither cold. Like, I'm not talking about someone else. I'm talking about me. I'm neither faithful or I'm, I'm neither in the world. When I'm lukewarm and my love is fading away, I make it a normal thing. I literally, I make excuses. I'm like, well, I had exams. Well, like, Deloitte is busy. But Jesus says, come back to your first love. He never changed. He didn't change the way that he was in Ezra. Like, the, the, the expectation is that we would be the same way that we were when Ezra was faithful. Akadis' generation. So here we are, Akadis' generation. And we're like, well, like, one day the Lord is going to touch me and I'm going to speak in tongue. No, you are to remain faithful at all times, whether you speak in tongue or you don't. You are to look like Mbaka. To, to honor your brother and sister, to honor your parents, to love the Lord, to pray, to sing, to worship, to give genuinely. But we live in a time where we're cold, neither cold or warm. We come to church day, Sunday services, we sing a little, we pray a little, we give $5 if we can, and then we go home, and then you're back to being like you're normal. Right? You fight with your friends, you argue, you box a little bit, you get hurt, and then you come back Sunday, and you're like, well, hallelujah, thank you, Lord. This is the generation that we live in. And if you look at Jesus, the way that he talks to us, you and me, he's desperate. Like when we're reading the text, can you sense the desperation? Right? Can you sense the desperation that our Lord has at this time? Through this whole generation, Nardi's time, God's time, Nathan's time, everyone's time, he says, I have people. He kept boasting about his people. Did you notice that? In every church, he says, I have a generation. Those of you who are faithful, those of you who have been this, did he say that in the last generation? Did he boast about any group of people? No, he says, I will just stand here and I will just knock. This is the heart of our Lord right now. He's so desperate. He says, I will just stand at your gate. I will just knock. He's, he, he's like resorting to the last thing he could ever do. Like, if anyone even opens the door, if anyone has the heart to open the door, I will sit and I will eat with him. But for now, I will just be desperate and I will knock at his door. I know half of you go through your life thinking like you're chasing the Lord, but the truth is, he's chasing you. He's knocking at your heart. Like, it's not the other way around. For many generations, he had people who seeked after him, right? He had faithful enough people to pass the torch over. They said, here you go, like, gosh, Asmara. Guys, remember when he did the paper with Al's dad and everybody else up there? Like, from one generation to another? He had people. They were like, they were so faithful. They said, for my son, I will pass that over. And then we get to Kedist. And honestly, I don't know if we are worthy enough to pass the torch over. Which is why he's so desperate. Like, I've never read a scripture where Jesus has been so desperate. He says, you know what? Forget a group of people. Can I just have one person? Can I just have one? This is the call that Jesus has for his church today. 
the message, the letter to his church. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Like whoever has ears, whoever has the heart to love him back, whoever has the heart to turn back to him, let them hear that Jesus is knocking on your door. If you remember in the Old Testament, there was a lady, Nardi, thank you so much. You found the scripture for me this morning. If you can turn there, Nardi. This is Psalms chapter 5, verse 6, right? Song of Psalms, chapter 5, 2 to 6. 2 to 8? Okay. Can someone read it for me, voluntarily? Song of Psalms, chapter 5, 2 to 8. Yes. Okay, Noah's going to read it for me. I want to say something. This is, a, this is an age where the mass, the mass group of people in the house of God, we're not talking about the world, have rejected the Lord. If you go out to our bathroom doors today, our church, what do you find? Whatever. Aliens. Whatever you are. You know what Jesus calls those people? Nicolotians. He says, what, he, what does he say about them? I hate them. The church is full of people that Jesus hates. So what, his last route is to knock at the door to anyone who would open the door. But I want you to know this. Even this season has an end. Where Jesus is faithfully knocking on your door, even that comes to an end. Where it's too late for you to run after him, he's not going to be there. So that's what we're going to read right now. And then we'll pray, okay? Song of Psalms 5, 2 to 8. Read it. I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. I have taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I have washed my feet. Must I soil them again? My beloved thrusts his hand through the latch opening. My heart began to pound for him. I arose to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh. My fingers were flowing myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had left. He was gone. Mm. My heart sank Look. at his departure. He said, I took off my rope. I'm soaked and I'm knocking at your door. And she said, I washed my feet, I'm comfortable. Do you want me to soil my feet again? I'm comfortably in my bed, do you want me to get up for you again? And the truth is, if you know anything about the story, she's been waiting for him. The church has been waiting for Jesus. I, I, don't, I don't place any blame on anyone today. I just say that it makes sense. It's been generations, right? Can all of you get up, please? Like, I'm so sorry, but can all of you get up? It's been this many generations that have passed. This many generation waited. This many generation faithfully passed the torch. We get to Qaddis. Jesus finally shows up. And all of them are tired. All of them have lost their faith. They've lost the fire. They've lost the love. But Jesus shows up to Kedis and he just says, 
I'm sorry, like I'm late. I'm 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 drenched in water. I waited for everybody to to, to come into you. Right? The, the whole reason why Jesus is waiting is not because he's playing games with us, it's so that the whole world would actually be in, like in the church. Because he wants to save as many as he can, and he wants as many as as, as he can in Qaddist. He waited that long, not because he's playing games with you, but when the time finally comes and he shows up, there isn't a single one to open the door. He loved her. Did he not love her here? Did he not protect her? Did he not comfort her when she was weak? Did he not tell her she was rich when she was poor? Did he not heal her when she was sick? Did he not? He, he handled all of it, right? When she went away to the pagan gods, when she went away to Jezebel, when she indulged in everything. And then finally he was like, okay, it's time. I've got as many children as I can. But it was too late. Like, all of them are tired. This is the kind of time we live in, where neither we are cold or warm. We're in Qaddis's generation, where we've waited, we've waited, our generation waited, waited, and we made fun of the people who, who passed the torch. We said, oh, that's foolish. Why are they in the middle of the street preaching about the gospel? Like, ugh, that's kind of ugly. Like, go to the church. Like, why are you in front of everybody's face? I, I'm making fun of it, but, like, literally, I've said that before. Like, when I see people preaching in Starbucks, I'm like, bruh, like, I'm drinking my coffee. <laughs> that's the generation I'm in, and this the generation, where go- the gospel is foolish, even to me, and I'm supposed to be spreading the word of God. You know what he says when he looks at me? He says, my darling, I rebuke you because I love you. What is the word of God says? He says, I rebuke those I love. And he says, I waited. I'm sorry I waited for so long. I just want one faithful one right now. Forget the, forget the massive that I, I've boasted over. Forget Yoni's generation that was fire. I just want one faithful one. As emotional as it is, if your heart genuinely has been touched by the Spirit of God today. I want all of us to kneel down. What is the word of God says? Repent and come back to me. To genuinely have a prayer on your own. And to say, Lord, can I be that faithful individual who opens his door for you today? I want to eat with you. I want to be with you. I want to sit with you. You don't have to wait for anyone else anymore. You don't have to go from door to door. The rain isn't going to come down on you anymore. My door is open. So all of you, genuinely, if the Lord has spoken to you, it's okay if you're the only person standing in the room and your heart is in touch. It's okay if you would just want, but if your heart genuinely has been touched by the Lord and you want to be right with God today and you want to open your door, can you just kneel down with me and can we respond in prayer?